Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Part two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, November 17th, is brought to you by the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Rob Marbrick, State Senator from the Northwest Side, Pride and Joy of the Northwest Side is with us. And that song, Editorial Board by Michael Girardi, uh, Rob Marwick, is a song that one of our listeners wrote. He's a, he's a really great musician, in my humble opinion, great rocker. And I, I think the only man in Chicago who has greater disdain for the Chicago Tribune editorial board would be one Senator Robert F. Martwick of the Northwest side. I can't stand that freaking editorial board. But the other day, Rob Markwick and I were doing one of our extended phone conversations, and he went on a riff. Uh, Rob, I think you share my utter disdain for the Chicago Tribune editorial board. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and, and I think it, 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 based on their recent editorials, I would say that the feeling is mutual. Um, they're not big fans of mine either. And, you know, I, I don't know what it is. At, at some point, um, you, you would think that great institutions like, you know, everyone gets their opinion, but you would think that they would have some integrity in, in the way that they go about spreading that. But uh, Tribune seems to have lost all of that. So. All right, we'll refrain from going down that path. There's so much to cover with Rob, uh, and uh, we're going to talk about email voter, uh, excuse me, voter by mail impact. That's uh, something I want to talk to him about. I want to talk about the fair tax. I want to talk about the, f- the future of the elected school board, uh, which has been uh, Rob's legislative mission for several years. And yes, we will be discussing Michael Joseph Madigan. Uh, but before we get to all those topics, uh, Rob, I've been billing this all day. There's a, a good friend of our show, Pat Whalen, and Pat was the one. La- last week, I was going on one of my rants and riffs saying, I don't understand why they just don't have a freaking virtual meeting of the state house. Get the, <laughs> if the city council, if the freaking city council can have a virtual. And Pat Whalen wrote a bet. It's against the law. You know, I was like, oops, I didn't realize that. And then it uh, turns out it is. So why don't you uh, uh, give uh, our listeners and Pat Whalen, uh, Rob, just a little background on what and why in the world would it be against the law to have a virtual meeting uh, in the middle of a pandemic? Go ahead. Help us out here, Rob. Well, it, it's it's against the law because we weren't able to muster the votes to change the law. So, you know, it was written in the long, long time ago that that the legislature must meet in person to do all of these things. And I'm sure that there was probably good reasons for it back in the day, but um, the law and, and, you know, Pritzker was very clear about this too, was that the, uh, that the law does not permit the, the virtual uh, or for us to, to meet remotely or virtually. Um, and, and that needed to be changed. And when we had our four days of special session in May, um, that issue was brought up, but it failed by one vote in the House of Representatives. And in the Senate, it passed. And the Senate actually then, after the 
state or after the house failed to approve a full virtual session the senate passed rules that permit us to operate remotely under certain circumstances but only a minority of the members so there has to be a quorum physically present in order for certain members to be granted the privilege of of you know of participating remotely um but what we should have done absolutely unequivocally should have done was we should have passed a change in the law that to permit remote uh operation of the general assembly and it's it's a great sense of frustration for me obviously i've been very uh candid and, and and transparent about my own personal health issues but it's not even about that i mean as we've learned about this disease it's it's about it's not about whether or not a legislator gets COVID if they if we meet in session. It's about what are we doing to our staff? What are we doing about the people who don't have a choice? What are we going to do when if we are exposed? Maybe maybe some of us are so healthy that we don't show any symptoms. We bring it home and we spread it to our loved ones and kill some of them. The whole idea of this pandemic and and doing the right thing is putting yourself in a situation so you're not perpetuating the spread of the virus to people who it is going to hurt. And so we should be doing the responsible thing and meeting remotely. But as of yet, we haven't been able to muster up the votes to get it done. Well, not putting you in the hot seat here. By the way, he's a state senator now, not a state rep. So guys, a little freer to say what he wants about Michael Joseph Madigan. But um, if it failed by one vote in the House of Representatives, that says to me one thing. The speaker didn't push hard. Because the speaker, I've been following Michael Madigan uh, maybe even longer than you have, Rob, uh, since the 80s. Probably were tied in terms of following him. And this guy does not lose by one vote. So uh, my my guess is the Republicans were against this. Were they not? Were they against this? Sure. Yeah, the Republicans were against it. And again, this is the very beginning of the pandemic. And so they said, you know, the Republicans have always been saying we should meet and we should meet in person. And then certain one of them, you know, not all of them. I want to make this very clear because there are certain Republicans like my good buddy, Mark Batnick, who has been, you know, he was one of the first people to call for a statewide mask mandate. But then you've got some of these goofballs like Darren Bailey down there uh, in the Eastern Bloc who thinks we should all meet and I think he probably would not only, uh, uh, you know, suggest that we not wear masks, but uh, we would probably think that we should all sit in a close room and cough on each other. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, he's just so these guys are goofballs. But that that that's that's not the point. The point is, is that, yes, there were uh, Republicans that put it, pushed against it, especially remember when the General Assembly convenes in Springfield, there was this big fear that, oh, my God, imagine uh, Springfield, which is not a really booming economy. They rely a lot on that legislative uh, session, bringing all that uh, commerce and economic opportunity to the city, activity to the city. And I think there was a fear. Tim Butler, the representative from Springfield, spoke against it, saying, no, we need to meet here. And, you know, that that's that's great. But the the thing is, is that what, what it led to was not us meeting in Springfield or meeting. The choice wasn't, will we meet in Springfield or will we meet remotely? We just haven't done anything. And that's really the shame of it. There is work to be done. Um, I've been asked this and I've said it and I'll say it again, Ben. Don't get me wrong. The governor absolutely, unequivocally, should have powers to act uh, in an emergency situation. um, and, And those powers should not 
have to be run through the, the, the General Assembly to see if we can muster up the right votes. When he's acting in the moment, addressing a crisis, he should have that authority. But that's his authority. Our authority is to act in the long term. Yes. We're the ones who are supposed to set the policy for how the state deals with COVID in the long term, Mm -hmm. what the rules are, what the restrictions are. We're the ones who should set the policy for how we recover from this pandemic. And right now we're not doing anything. And that is the real shame in this. We could be meeting remotely. And clearly, as we just saw when, I mean, look, I'm supposed to be in Springfield right now. Today's supposed to be the first day of, of, a veto session, but I, instead I'm sitting in my little home office talking to you, uh, which is a nice thing, but, <laughs> but I'm not in Springfield talking yeah. to you because we're not meeting. So it's, it, again, it's a false choice. It's not, will you meet in Springfield or will you meet remotely? It's, it's, we're not meeting at all. And so remote should be what we're doing because there's a lot of things that require our, our interaction, our discussion, our debates and our action. And we're not doing it. Yeah. Now, uh, this important distinction you made, uh, acting on the uh, in the moment as opposed to long term action. And this is where I'm going to give a shout out to DB, Darren Bailey. We make fun of him a lot on this show, but I'm going to shout out and all the and all the MAGA people out there uh, who talk about the let the, the need to have a check and a balance where the legislative body acts as a check on the executive body. And so, yes. Uh, Governor uh, Pritzker made and uh, acted on the moment with the executive orders to protect the welfare of the people of the state. I believe long term, the legislators have to act. I say the same thing in the city council. I don't mm-hmm. think Mayor Lightfoot's Emperor Lightfoot. She's Mayor Lightfoot. And we have vir- the, uh, the virtual city council meetings. And so, yes, legislators should get to vote on mask policies and stay at home policies. I believe that. Yeah. Well, you have the, but so that's what leaves the Democrats vulnerable to the lawsuits from the Darren Bailey's of the world. Uh, Rob, when the bear, they, they go, this is just like an emperor. He's a tyrant. He's not allowing the legislators to speak up. And why? Because they can't meet. They can't meet because it's a health hazard. They So meet virtually. No, there's a law that says we can't meet. When I see that, that we have a law that says that we cannot meet virtually, that tells me that the powers that be in this state don't want that law changed. And they have their own reasons and they probably won't tell come on my show and tell the people what the reasons are. But you follow what I tell the powers to be the Republican Party and the powers to be the Democratic Party, no matter what their posturing is, Rob, don't want the law changed or else the law would have changed your thoughts. (laughs) Well, it's hard to argue with that logic, Ben. The only thing that I would say is I will parse out my leader. Um, Senator Don Harmon, who did hear the will of my caucus, I, and I want to say I'm grateful to my caucus members for standing up uh, and joining me in that fight when a lot of them were like, well, it's not going to affect me. I mean, you know, that's the wrong approach to it, but you know what I mean? They were saying, I'll be okay. But they said, yeah, we should have virtual session. Uh, and they pushed Senator Harmon on it, and he fought for it, President Harmon on it. And uh, when it didn't happen, uh, when we couldn't get that bill across the goal line, then he stepped up and made sure that it was in the rules so that, and and that's one of the reasons why, and and maybe your listeners aren't aware of this, but there has been a great deal of work done uh, regarding the uh, criminal justice, social justice reform sort of initiatives that are being led by the black caucus in response to the, the, the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so on and so forth. Um, 
that there has been a tremendous amount of, of hearings, probably more than any other summer, except maybe the, the that first summer under Rauner when we were down there all summer. Um, but but we have had a lot of virtual meetings that are able to convene because Senator Harmon put those rules in and we're able to run our committees virtually. So there there is, I, I do appreciate that, but you're right. I mean, I think that, that uh, and, and, and I hope that it was just a, a mistake right early on we thought maybe we'd get through this a little faster than we have and maybe thought we didn't need to enact that but i think that there is definitely uh you know one of the things i've made clear is i think we should convene for one vote we should convene we should vote on virtual session and then everybody should go home and let's get back to doing the business of the people that elected us to do it for so this is uh one of those technical points uh rob and i appreciate you uh, helping us out here so it, you can't vote virtually to change the law that prevents you voting virtually. Am I correct? That's that right. means you have to. Wow. But you yeah. can convene to have the committee hearing on whether to eradicate the law that prevents you from voting virtually. Am I correct on that? So you can convene. You can take subject matter uh, testimony. Right. But you cannot actually have. a. So here's here is the one limitation. We can't have a vote on a committee hearing unless a quorum, a majority of the committee members, are physically present. So if we have that, then a minority of the members can uh, can participate and vote remotely. But we, we still don't have what we need, which is we should have full committee hearings and we should have full session and voting remotely. And, and look, there's a fear, and I get it, right? There's a fear that if that happens, then we'll never go back to actual physical session and that's nonsense because uh at this point of the pandemic i think we all realize it's nonsense because we're all we've all had just about enough of zoom conferences (laughs) yeah um i'm i'm tired of the headaches from staring at the blue screen for eight hours and and it doesn't allow you that ability right on a when we're on the floor in the illinois general assembly and you've seen this you've been there you know we're not sitting there like like kids in a fourth grade school class with our hands folded and our desk quietly listening to the teacher, we're moving around, we're talking to people, we're working bills. You can't do that on a Zoom call. It would be so ineffective compared to actually physically being there, but it's far better than not doing anything at all. So yeah. that's why we should do it. Wow. It, I'm with you 100 percent. That's a, not, in my opinion, it's not a legitimate concern. Like no. to, c- to keep the prohibition of virtual meetings because you think you'll never go back to Springfield. No, they want to go back to Springfield. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, listen, it's been a real <laughs> blessing for me to be able to spend time with my uh, my four year old and my one year old here at home. But I'm ready to go back to Springfield <laughs> and I'm ready. Yeah. Okay? I, I hear you. What a bizarre situation. So it could uh, just to close it. You could, if you could get, let's see, there's 120 members, 119 members of the house. Correct. Did I have that number? Right. Did I 118, 118 and 59 members of the Senate. All right. Uh, so that means that you could, if you could get more uh, half plus one of those yep. house members to go to Springfield, the others wouldn't have to go. Uh, and same thing in the Senate. So you could just like, Pick straws. People who had legitimate medical reasons for not going to Springfield. Uh, we could do. But what a bizarre situation. That's all I got to say. You can have the committee yeah. hearing, but if you're going to have the vote, you can't have the vote. It, it's um, it's strange. And this is yeah. uh, part of the reason people get so confused with government uh, when well, you have moments like. No, that's right. And and so Representative Ann Williams uh, and myself are carrying the legislation now. And, you know, it's it's you know, when we talk and we talk regularly, 
Um, and I mean, our Senate Democratic Caucus, that's one of the things that I constantly push back on. During the cancellation of veto, um, you know, it was there was a, a poll of the members and two thirds said, ah, the way things are going, we're, we're safer off to stay at home. And it, no doubt this is following proper medical advice. Don't go down to Springfield, stay home. I get right. it. But what I told Senator Harmon, President Harmon, I said, Don, forgive me. Because I'm the guy with the, the the underlying health concerns, I should be thrilled that we're not meeting, but I'm not. And I said, it's I just don't think it's a good strategy to wait for COVID to get better, right? Yeah. And so that's why we need to meet, we need to act, and 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 get virtual session passed so that we don't have to worry. If there's a big boom in infections, we can operate from the safety of our home. And the moment the governor declares the debt disaster declaration over, and we can return, and we will return physically. All right. Uh, let's talk about uh, the, the election that just passed. Uh, get, get your thoughts. Mm. Fair tax went down uh, and yeah. you were uh, you were reelected. I remember election night. Jacob Kaplan was on the show. Uh, we did an election special. A good friend of the show, Jacob Kaplan, uh, executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party, came on the show. And we were worried about you. <laughs> we're worried about you, Rob. Uh, it was a bleak night for me because Florida didn't go for Biden, and so I was, oh God, I knew I, could, I, could, I knew it was going to be a week. If Florida yeah. go for Biden, I was like ready to pop the champagne. I knew it was going to be a week of sitting and waiting for votes to come in, uh, and it seems like it was similar with you. Talk about what your election was was like. Well. Um... In, in, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of historical perspective. In 1996, I ran for basically what is this same seat. And I, you know, I, I might remember the actual vote counts, even though it was so long ago. I lost by 871 votes on 50,000 total votes cast. Okay. Wow. 1996. Basically, yes, 24 years later, but, you know, it's not that dramatically different in terms of population. It's the same district, right? It's the same number of people that you represent. Well, we're, turnout-wise, we're like, we've got like 94,000 votes cast, almost twice as many votes cast in this seat, in this district, right? Well, on election night, uh, the votes started coming in, and by the time they finished counting, with one precinct uncounted, they had counted every precinct save for one. Uh, and at that point there had been about 80,000 votes cast. I was leading by a whopping 27 votes on 80,000 cast. Wow. So um, I appreciate your concern. I guarantee you that it pales in comparison to the, uh, the worry that I was feeling at the moment. Um, because of course, at that moment, there's a little bit of a lack of transparency. I don't really know. I mean, we pushed for this, as most, as almost all Democrats did, I'd have to say all of them, for our voters to vote by mail. Stay safe, make sure your vote's counted, request a ballot, send it in early, use the secure Dropbox location, get your vote counted. The problem was, is when I went to bed, and I say went to bed, not to sleep, uh, up by 27 votes, <laughs> I didn't know if those vote by mail ballots had been cast in, and if that was the case, Boy, did we read this election wrong. But as luck would have it, um, those vote-by-mail ballots had not been counted yet. And as they started counting them, not surprisingly, they went between two, two and a half uh, to one, three to one, my favor. And um, now, as we're still waiting for what will today be the final count, we're 
currently. So we were up 27 votes on election day. We're now up 7,223 votes of almost full 54% to 46%. So what looked like, oh my God, a razor thin margin was actually a very, very comfortable margin of victory. Well, uh, that's good to hear. And I remember talking to you uh, the Saturday, I think it was that first Saturday uh, after the election. And uh, I reached out to you to see if you how you were doing. Uh, and you told me that your uh, opponent had just conceded. And I gave that guy a tip of the hat, uh, unlike the leader of his party, who's physically incapable of making a concession speech. I don't think the word concession and Donald Trump will ever go in the same sentence together. Um, at least uh, your opponent understood that vote by mail is part of the process. Count every vote. Yep. Not every vote gets counted you know, by election night. It's not like midnight with Cinderella at the ball. You don't turn into a pumpkin. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's, uh, it takes right. time. And I'm, I'm sure he was disappointed, right? Because when he went to bed, I can imagine he had nothing but excitement and elation. In fact, I think there was a Facebook post. Hey, we're in it. Just wait for the ballots to be counted. They're going to go in our favor. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, they're not. Well, not surprisingly, you tell all your voters not to use it. We told all of our voters to use it, vote by mail. And uh, But you're right. He did call and concede. He was a gentleman about that. And, and you know, in the end, that's what it's supposed to be all about. You know, it's this you're supposed to accept the, the will of the people in a fair election. And that's what he did. And I give him credit for it. Yeah, I give him credit for that. All right. Fair tax also. That went down. Yeah. Yeah. It, got, it got clobbered in your neck of the woods, yeah. 41st Ward. Yes, it did. I know. It, it, it's it just just horrible, horrible, horrible to think uh, what happened. And, uh, you know, as you've pointed out, boy, if there was ever an instance of people voting against their own interest. It was amazing that people voted against a tax cut for themselves and, and I think when you're talking about my area, you talk about a whole lot, probably more than any other district uh, in the state of public sector workers, police officers, firefighters, teachers, uh, uh, tradesmen, frontline government workers, state, county, city workers. And they voted against the tax, uh, excuse me, a tax cut for themselves and against the revenue that they wouldn't have had to pay for that would have helped secure their pensions. And um, everything is in the balance now. Everything's on the table. And, you know, um, you know, I, I have spent a lot of my career fighting on behalf of preserving um, what I think is so crucial for the middle class, and that's secure retirements. And you certainly can't have secure retirements for the middle class if you've got the, the pensions that are promised to, to government workers. So I've always stood up for that. And now I'm, I'm sitting here like I spent more time convincing these people that no, it's not going to tax your pensions. It's not going to eliminate, it's going to protect your pensions. And they just, they didn't believe you. They didn't trust government. So Rob, do you think that that Phyllis commercial that we make fun of all the time on the show where the, the retiree from Park Ridge said uh, that they're going to tax your retirement income. Do you think that had an impact in your ward or was it just a general antipathy to Pritzker Democrats uh, that prevailed. What's your thoughts? Oh, I think it was, I think the, the campaign to defeat the fair tax was nothing short of genius, Ben. What they did was they realized that if we tell people that what this does is, is it lowers taxes for everybody making a quarter of a million dollars a year or less and provides the state with the money that it needs to fix our finances, 
it would have got 95%. And they're like, well, that's not going to work for us. We want it to die. And look at the, you know, you know this, you look at the list of donors to the coalition to beat the fair tax. It was all the richest people in our state, right? And so they're like, well, we can't sell that. So what they said was, and, 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 and it was just genius. They said, we will spend all this time confusing the hell out of people and, and telling them not to trust, don't trust that evil Springfield government with your hard-earned money. And it's like, no, no, we want less of your money. But that's not what they told them, right? So they confused them. They made it think it was going to tax their retirement. They made it thought that it would it would uh, attack their pensions. They they made it thought that, that made you think that the tax rates could be determined. Any, I love that. That was my favorite. <laughs> if you pass the fair tax, the politicians will be able to raise the rates anytime they want, and they won't need voter approval. So people would be like, is that true? And I would say, well, yes, but but it's true anyway. Right? <laughs> you know, and so like, like it was the most amazing thing. Yeah. And they scared people. And when people are scared, they vote no. It was genius. It was yeah. genius. So, well, uh, we might as well go move uh, the last item on the list to this part, because there was also the Madigan impact. And yeah. I, I, I tease myself all the time, I continually flip-flop on Michael Joseph Madigan. Uh, I, I start off by always saying how much I appreciate uh, he did uh, during the Rounders years and standing up to the Rounders protecting union rights. So I, that's heartfelt. I absolutely appreciate it. On the other hand, I can't even get the words out. The guy has turned into a caricature of himself that the Republican Party has successfully used time and time again uh, in this particularly this last election cycle to defeat Democratic initiatives. He is a serious liability, in my humble opinion, to the Democratic Party so long as he's still playing that Wizard of Oz game where he just retreats to his cave and lets Steve Brown issue statements on his behalf. And I don't have a cell phone and I don't know how to tweet. And I, you know, every now and then a press statement comes out, you know, fight for himself. doesn't stand up for himself. He makes like all the Dems do the dirty work. And then they get bashed for, <laughs> for yeah. being a mannequin supporter. Uh, Rob, I'm like, something's got to change Dems. I'm sorry. Fair tax went down in part because they, they tied it to Michael Joseph Madigan, and he doesn't fight to defend himself. Please, your response to all this. <laughs> wow, where do I begin? Um, well, look, I mean, there's no doubt that he had a negative effect, right? So, look, if I look at this election, what I would say is I would say that we accurately predicted a blue wave. But look at my numbers, right? Yeah. 50,000 votes in 1996. And in 2020, almost 100,000 votes, 50,000 more people came out and voted. There was also a red wave, right? So there was a blue wave and a red wave. And, and there were, the, there were, but, but the blue wave was bigger. What happened was, is we lost races that we should have won um, because independents who came out and voted for Joe Biden over Donald Trump didn't stay on that side of the ballot. Something caused them to move over, whether it was distrust of the fair tax, whether it was Pritzker or whether it was the continued uh, uh, burden of, of Michael J. Madigan leading the uh, Democratic Party. I, I don't know, but something made them move over. And I certainly think that given, you know, his uh, role in this comment scandal, and again, I, I don't, I, I 
I don't think that they're going to, you know, um, I don't know how that's going to turn out, but I would think that if they had evidence uh, sufficient enough to, to charge him and find him guilty, they would have charged him. That's what I think by now. Um, so it doesn't look like they've got it. Who knows? Time will tell. Um, but, but that, that, that shadow of Michael Madigan is without a doubt, definitely affected some of these races and caused them to go the other way. And so there, there's no doubt about it. Um, at least in my mind that, you know, but, but he's, he's always been that, I, I guess the answer is, it's not that he's always been that the Republicans have always used him as a reason not to vote for the Democrats, right? They've always yeah. said, Vote against the Democrats because of Michael Madigan. And most of the independent voters out there said, meh, we don't care about that shit. And now, all of a sudden, I, I think this is the first election, maybe because of everything that had to do with ComEd, where it actually did affect people's votes. And, and it was a burden on, on Democrats. And there were races that we should have won and we didn't. Yeah. And so the Democrats are at this uh, moment where they have to really think where they head from here. I have tons of advice I would love to give the Democrats in this report. I know they're not going to want to listen to my advice. So what's your advice that the Democrats, uh, you're a Democrat, you're a lifelong Democrat. You're a Democratic committeeman, as I as I'm, my memory stands serves me correctly. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I am a Democratic committeeman in the Cook County Democratic Party um, for the 38th ward over here. And in fact, we're gonna we're getting ready to invite you to come to our post election yes. breakdown again. Yes, so, I, I'm um, looking for. I've already agreed to that. Jacob Kaplan called me, and so I'm in. A little moment of, of plugging, selfish. Yeah, uh, plugs. December second, Wednesday, December second. We did it last time. It was a blast. Uh, a lot of state rep. There was like uh, Ann Williams was on that, as I recall. Oh, yeah. uh, um, so a lot of political junkies. At, uh, we'll do our virtual meeting. Yeah, virtual, virtual guys. Hear that? That's right. You can do That's virtual right. meetings. Yeah, uh, it'd be a lot of fun to break down the results and talk about it. Um, you know, I think as the as the Democratic Party moves forward, obviously they've got tough decisions to make with this. Um, but it is a uh, you know this is a you know, the, the decision about speaker is is a decision of the the House Democratic Caucus. Obviously, I'm in the Senate, so I don't get a role in that decision making process. And, you know, I, I don't look, I know what they're weighing out. They're weighing out the question of is it time to move forward and change leadership or do you stick with, you know, what you know? And I know that for a lot of listeners out there, they're probably saying, what you know, well, what the <laughs> heck would we want with, what would you like about what you know? And, and that's the thing, right? Um, I tell people this all the time is that people say, well, how, how does he get so many votes? How does he keep this power? You know, how, how does everyone vote for him? And the bottom line is he earns it. Right. I mean, M Michael J. Madigan, I'm, I'm going to say nice things about about the speaker now. Um, and, and I just said, you know, I think that there is uh, they, people have to decide whether or not this shadow has gotten too long. But listen, here here are some cold, hard facts. And there can be stuff that you probably already know, whether your your listeners know that or not. That guy works harder than anybody. He's the first guy in the building. He's the last guy to leave. He reads every piece of legislation that goes through there. He knows everything about what goes on in your district and what the needs of your district are. And he helps you as a legislator advance legislation that's important to your district. That's what you want out of a leader. Politically, he is 
unbelievable. And I always tell the story about how my first time when I was running for office, I didn't even have a general election. And so it's a Sunday and I'm watching HBO and I'm put between shows at nine o'clock at night on a Sunday, I'm putting on my pajamas and I get a call and it's Mike Madigan, 72 year old Mike Madigan in his office calling to raise money for democratic candidates. Right. And so when you have these elected members of the General Assembly, these House members, they get together and they say, well, gee, who should be our leader? Well, the guy who's out there busting his butt, raising money, the guy who's out there doing everything he can, and I mean everything he can to win races and not just win races, win them by as big of a margin as he can possibly muster up, Um the guy who stood up against Bruce Rauner and not just for the unions, but against cuts to uh, mental health centers and, and uh, domestic violence shelters and, and like Maryville Center for uh, Medically Fragile Children, which is my district, when Bruce Rauner tried to zero them out for funding. You know, he says, what's important to you? And I will fight for that. And and so, like I said, you've you've got that track record. And the question is, you know, I think a lot of people might say, well, how do you know someone else couldn't do that job? And the answer is, well, you don't. Absolutely. There's a lot of talented people. you got to think someone could be able to do that job. The question is, is can they do it as well as he has? He's passed tough legislation. So, you know, like I said, so when people say, why do people vote for him? They earn it. And, and here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Even if you say, hey, it's time for something new. Right. And I've had this discussion with some, some of several of my former colleagues. Even if you say, hey, I think. It's time for a change. It's time for new leadership. Let's put a new brand on the Democratic Party. Let's find someone who can do the job. He's had a nice career. Time to go, right? Even if you think that's the case, this idea that you would walk onto a stage and during inauguration and say, I'm voting against Mike Madigan, the decision about who the candidate is, is a caucus decision. It's a team decision. Mm-hmm. And when you say, my team has picked Mike Madigan, but I'm voting no. What you're saying is I'm not part of the team. And so when people say, oh, you got to watch out, Madigan will punish you. I will tell you, I never saw Mike Madigan really punish anyone. Oh, yeah, you, once you're out, you're out, you know. Um, but you look at Ann Stava Murray, who was the last person to vote present for him, there's been no negative consequences to Ann Stava Marie. She hasn't suffered because of it. Um, but what happens is when your whole team, for whatever their reasons are, go in there, whether it's members of the Black Caucus or the Latino Caucus or the Downstate Caucus, whatever it is, and they go in and they say, I'm sorry, Rob, but I disagree with you. I think Mike Madigan's the best choice to lead our party. Well, then you kind of got to go with the team, because if you don't, if you go out there and you say, I'm more important than the team, mm-hmm. good luck ever passing a bill. Mike Madigan doesn't have to stand in the way your colleagues will vote for your legislation because you've told them you're more important than they are. Yeah. Uh, all right. We'll uh, we'll leave it there. That's a pretty uh, good defense of Madigan. I, I, I would totally 100 percent buy into that argument uh, if Madigan did a, a more forceful job, in my humble opinion, of defending himself and defending his party. More yeah. to the point, 
defending his party. So the Kilbride, uh, Tom, uh, Justice Kilbride went down in part because they uh, used Madigan as a club to pound him. And uh, I wish the Democratic Party had stood up for uh, Kilbride. I wish the Democratic Party had stood up for the fair tax. There's so many games that get played in politics today, Rob. You know them as well as I do. You've been playing. You've been in politics for quite a while. And so I just uh-huh. wish, you know, the I said this and it's going to sound bizarre coming from me. I wish Madigan had studied Donnie Trump and learned a few things from Trump. Because every time Trump took a punch, he threw three back. And I just wish the Democrats would fought, would fight, you know, just for what they believe. Because you you make some good points. If the guy knows the game, he works harder than anybody else, and you're a Democrat, you want that kind of leadership. So uh, maybe he should reconsider. It's hard for an old dog to learn new tricks. Yeah, All right, let's. You know what? I was I was thinking that too, and and that's you know if you're going to make the argument. That might be it. Like you said, the guy who doesn't have a cell phone and a, an email, you get, it's like, you know, come on, get with the times. Right. And, and, uh, you know, he has like, I, I've heard that he's trying to change his image in, in his local district. Um, it's now instead of, you know, speaker Madigan and Alderman Quinn, it's, it's Mike and Marty. All their communications is Mike and Marty. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's a start, Mike. Next thing that's you know, right. you're going to be, uh, tweeting. All right. Uh, instead of apples will be eating apple pies all right now uh let's close with the elected school board uh this has been your mission for a long time uh chicago elected school board uh, mayor Lori lightfoot as i recall was a, a proponent of the school board as candidate Lori lightfoot as mayor Lori lightfoot not so uh, much a proponent uh so what's the status of the elected school board, Rob Martwick. Well, um, so the, the bill has passed the House of Representatives. Um, it passed because there was this really awesome state representative who actually was able to muster up 110 out of 118 votes to pass it, um, although he's no longer there anymore. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, so the bill came over to the Senate, and um, it, and so, of course, I'm, I'm laughing. I'm teasing a little bit because I was the sponsor in the House, and when I came to the Senate, I actually picked up sponsorship of the bill in the Senate. My good friend, uh, Senator Omar Aquino, said, it's your initiative, take it over. So if we were to be able to get it to pass before this session ends in January, um, I would be both the House and Senate sponsor of the legislation. So, um, But it's in the Senate. It's um, awaiting action. And I've made it very, very clear to President Harmon um, I, as I did to his predecessor, President Culleton, that it is this is my number one initiative. I want to pass this bill. And um, he is working with me. Um, the governor says he will sign it. Um, I was hopeful that I would be advancing the bill right now in veto session, but that got canceled. Um, but I really do believe I've got the votes to pass it. And I believe I've got the votes to pass it, you know, to get it to the governor and and ask him for his signature, which I think he will give. And we will create an elected school board for the city of Chicago. The complication, of course, is that um, I've been asked to um, work with the mayor to uh, on on some sort of compromise. Um, She is not a a supporter of the bill and its current structure. She made that very clear when she got elected that she thought my structure was a, a bad structure. And so. Um, I've had some early meetings with her and, 
Um, uh, I don't know at this point whether or not there will be a compromise. Um, I'm I'm not really. I, I'm not really interested in, I shouldn't say I'm not interested. I'm always open to compromise, but I, I'm a little wary about compromise this late in the game because anytime you change the bill, you have to send it back to the other yeah. chamber. And I don't like the idea of making amendments to the bill when it's right at the goal line and ready to be pushed across and then making a change and sending it back to the house where there is a particular person who's very good at extracting leverage from legislation who might be in control of it. And I, I don't want that to happen. So I'd like to get it across the finish line. Um, and I've of course uh, told the mayor that uh, I would be happy uh, to work with her on trailer legislation to come up with some sort of compromise. But, you know, I'm a big believer in a fully elected school board. She said uh, at every co- uh, candidate forum that she was at that she supported an elected school board. But now that she's become the mayor and she's working there, she's she she wants uh, a different sort of structure that allows her to maintain some influence over that board. And so uh, so that's where we're at, you know, wow. waiting to see now. So work and roll calls, trying to round up the votes, make sure that I've got what I need to get it across the finish line when we do meet. Mayors come and go, Rob Artwick, but one thing remains the same. They hate giving up control of the school board and they hate giving up TIFs. Uh, That's two things I've learned from watching Chicago politics. (laughs) Uh, All right, Rob Artwick, appreciate you coming on the show. uh, And I will uh, return the favor. I'll be on your show December 2nd. Uh, Should be a very uh, fun evening. I did it last time. It was a blast. A lot of political junkies in the 38th Ward love talking politics, as do I. So I'm looking forward to that. We'll probably promote it uh, as we get closer as well. So um, Sounds good. All right, very good. Rob Margaret, stay safe and sound. That's a great Rob Margaret. You too, Ben. Have a, have a, and all of your listeners, have a very safe, and then let me a little do a little PSA, safe, stay at home, socially distanced. Don't get together with your families. Save it. Stay home for Thanksgiving. The numbers in Canada, when they all got together for Thanksgiving, went through the roof. We're already through the roof. We can't sustain it. Stay home. Do the right thing. We'll celebrate once the vaccine's out. Our thanks, as always, for Senator Rob Martwick for coming on to the program. We've had him on quite a few times. You can find our previous interviews with Mr. Martwick at the Chicago Reader website and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Speaking of, we have an extra little drop at 5 a.m. It's called the Ben Jarofsky Show's Back Half. I know, sounds a little dirty, but it makes sense. Download this and hear Ben's take on the latest article from the Chicago Sun-Times' own Tom Shuba and his latest on that great-grandkid of former Mayor Daley. Also, there is a bus waiting outside, waiting to roll over our Democratic Illinois speaker, Michael Joseph Madigan. Find out which Democratic elected leader is on what team, Team Madigan Resign or Team Madigan Stay. We'll have the latest on that as well. Go check it out wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Subscribe and you will get these notifications and you can download them and listen to them and you can comment on them. It's a great time.